Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio with host Jerry Prokopovich. Our program covers all aspects of Civil War history, from the battlefields to the home fronts, and features guest experts, plus insight from your host as they discuss the most critical period in American history. Now, here is your host, Jerry Prokopovich. This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. The Lutheran Theological Seminary in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, is one of the iconic buildings of the Civil War. From the cupola on its roof, Union Cavalry General John Buford looked out at the advancing forces of Lee's Army of Northern Virginia in July 1863. In its halls, hundreds of wounded soldiers of both the United States and the Confederacy were treated during and after the battle. For over a century, battlefield visitors could only view it from outside as they passed through the seminary campus. But since 2013, it has been open to the public as the Seminary Ridge Museum. We'll learn more about its history from Dr. Darrell Black, President of the Seminary Ridge Historic Preservation Foundation and Executive Director of the Seminary Ridge Museum when we talk with him tonight on Civil War Talk Radio. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you tonight from the Civil War Talk Radio Annex at Oxford Road in Greenville, North Carolina, not from the Brewster Building, not from the campus of East Carolina University, and indeed in a few minutes not from Greenville at all, as we will shift over to a pre-recorded interview this evening with Daryl Black on his home turf at the Seminary Ridge Museum in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. This was scheduled to be played on the first uh, week of September 2018, Wednesday, September 5th. If you listened on that night, however, you noticed there was no live show broadcast from Voice America. By coincidence, they had a internet outage that night. Uh, the whole city of Phoenix apparently lost internet, uh, or so it seemed, and they were unable to produce any live uh, Voice America programs, all the self-help and 
other hucksters, whatever else they have, uh, couldn't be broadcast. Fortunately, here at Civil War Talk Radio, this coincides with our first experiment in pre-recorded interviews. So instead of having to reschedule at the last minute, uh, Daryl Black is home uh, relaxing, hopefully, in Gettysburg, waiting to hear his interview with me as I am here. And uh, we'll all get to hear that in, in just a few moments. It is, as I said, the first week of September 2018 here in Greenville. Uh, classes are back in session. I'm using a classroom management system for the first time, a piece of software that's supposed to take attendance and put up slides on the screen and ask student questions that they can answer using their cell phones or laptops in the middle of lecture. I thought I would try it. It seems I should occasionally do something to get with the 21st century uh, in the classroom. So far it's a mixed bag. Some things are working, some not so much, but uh, at, at least I'm not uh, doing everything exactly the same as 20 years ago, trying to advance the cause. If that gets any more interesting or better, I'll, I'll let you know about it. Uh, I'm telling you about that in part to studiously avoid discussing college football the opening week of the 2018 season. Um, let me just say the two teams I follow most closely uh, had the two most disappointing opening games I think I've ever seen in my college football lifetime. Already I'm asking, is the season over yet? Bowl games soon? Uh, this is going to be a long autumn. But for Civil War Talk Radio, not uh, any longer than usual. Uh, it will be filled, uh, as always, with, with excellent programs, at least ones I hope you will enjoy as much as I plan to. Next week, on September 12th, we'll have Mark M. Smith with a new take on Civil War history, a book called The Smell of Battle, The Taste of Siege, A Sensory History of the Civil War. And we'll follow that up on the 19th with Hal Jesperson, whose maps you have seen in almost any Civil War book you read, uh, one of the great cartographers in the field. We'll talk with him about how he does his work. On September 26th, we'll welcome back to the show uh, an old friend of the show, Caroline Janey, who has edited a volume, Petersburg to Appomattox, The End of the War in Virginia. We'll talk with her about that and other things in the Civil War news. Uh, as we will the following week, October 3rd, Kirk Savage joins us, rescheduled from last June, very graciously, will be with us. Uh, the book we'll talk about of his is called Standing Soldiers, Kneeling Slaves, Race, War, and Monument in 19th Century America. And that obviously is a timely topic. People are talking about monuments in Chapel Hill, not far from Greenville. People have knocked over monuments, and others are promising to put them back up. It is a hot and divisive topic. I shared my views on it last week. You can go back and listen to that. I know not everyone agrees with them. I uh, just heard the Windows sound telling me my computer does not agree. But it's an important topic to discuss. Uh, in line with that, looking at the fall schedule, uh, I was recently solicited by a publisher for a book that advocated uh, a position on Confederate monuments very contrary to mine. Uh, and as you know from listening to the show, I don't invite people here to argue with them. Uh, I, I bring uh, books that I hope I think are worthwhile, that I hope you will think are worthwhile. 
But just because I don't agree with someone doesn't mean their book is not worthwhile. So I gave this book a look and uh, read through it to see if it would produce an interesting and productive dialogue. Uh, the author and I could disagree, and maybe we'd both come away with something uh, better, more improved, more thoughtful opinions. Unfortunately, um, the book turned out not to take a serious historical approach to Confederate monuments. Uh, it was a series of polemical exclamations about how evil and wrong the other side was, supported by anecdotal evidence, uh, not not systematic review of the evidence, no addressing contrary evidence, no recognition of multiple possible interpretations, just look how wrong they are and look how right I am. Uh, nothing, in other words, on which to base a discussion, so I'm still looking for books and would be happy to entertain your suggestions for books that address uh, contemporary issues of Civil War memory uh, from from any perspective. Those that look at this seriously, uh, books like uh, John Kosky's work on the Confederate battle flag that we talked about on the show here a few years ago, uh, these are the kinds of books that, that I'd be very interested in, in, in presenting to you and, and sharing views with the author, uh, even where uh, he or she and I might disagree. However, books that start from a political position as opposed to a historical one, and then work backward uh, looking for examples that support their view and ignoring contrary evidence, treating history as a magic bag, a bag of tricks you can just reach in and pull out what, what makes your side look good and leave the rest behind. If you did that in History 3225 on your term paper here at ECU, you would get a D uh, regardless of your view. Uh, that's not the methodology we follow. So uh, let me know and keep an eye on Civil War Talk Radio. Uh, the uh, website, uh, impedimentsofwar.org, where you can see who else will be on the show in weeks ahead. You can donate to the show through the PayPal button there. This is normally the time when I cue the guest, but since it's a recording tonight, instead I'll cue our engineer, Aaron Rodriguez, uh, to play the first segment. A-Rod, take it away. This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. You're hearing there a different version of Granny Will Your Dog Bite, played by Tommy Jarrell, not the one we usually use on the show, because we're not in our usual location today. Uh, this is being recorded not in Greenville or at one of the Civil War talk radio annexes in Michigan or elsewhere. Rather, it is on the battlefield of Gettysburg, on Seminary Ridge, in the Schmucker House, uh, did I say that right? Yes, the Schmucker House. Same in the Schmucker House, uh, on in part of the Lutheran Theological Seminary, uh, where I'm talking with Dr. Daryl Black, uh, who has graciously uh, come in early on a Saturday morning to discuss what uh, what happened here, what's happening here today, and uh, generally give us some background. So, Daryl, tell us a little bit about your, yourself, your your academic background, and your interest in the Civil War. Well, I'm one of those, I've been a Civil War guy for all my life. Uh, you know, one of the, the first book that my parents gave me when I was a kid was, uh, still it's laid on my desk, in fact, uh, uh, was Francis Lord's Civil War Encyclopedia when I was, for my sixth birthday. So I've been 
you know, for, for as long as I can remember, have, have been a Civil War guy. Uh, my academic training is in uh, American social and cultural history at the University of California, Irvine, where I uh, studied uh, Baptist revival culture in the uh, East Georgia Cotton Belt uh, in the early uh, American Republic and up to the, to the, the point of the uh, separation of the Baptist uh, Church and the creation of the Southern Baptist Convention in 1845. So uh, I kind of came to being a Civil War historian as a, as a scholar kind of through the back door thinking that, that really the way that I needed to understand the Confederate experience and understand the Civil War experience was to, to dig deep into the culture and the social practices and uh, uh, that's, that's the graduate program that I pursued uh, and have continued to build out on that. Uh, we have a project that we're working on here at the museum uh, that uh, that is something of a religious biography of Lee's army, uh, where we're looking in very, in very fine detail uh, across generations, thinking about the, uh, the, the parents and grandparents of the soldiers who fight around the seminary and fight, on, and fight in Gettysburg. We had a real narrow focus on, on some of these South Carolina soldiers because they're, from, they're from, the, from, from Hamburg, South Carolina, Edgefield District, right across the river from Augusta, the part of the of Georgia that I studied for my dissertation. So we're kind of starting there and building out, but uh, uh, the idea is to look uh, from the, uh, the, the early Republic through the first part of the 19th century and see how the Confederate experience was shaped by those religious cultures uh, that developed in the plantation districts especially, uh, and then how the Confederate experience uh, shaped the way that, uh, that white Southerners uh, uh, integrated uh, fundamentalism into what was not a fundamentalist church, and fundamentalism is not is not a southern thing. It's a it's a it's a northern and, and western thing. So, Let, uh, I want to get into detail on that as we yeah. go further. Uh, before we do that, I want to get a sense of what you do here. Yeah, well, uh, this, at, at the museum. Yeah, the the museum is now five years old. Uh, opened uh, July first, uh, twenty thirteen, uh, for the hundred fiftieth anniversary. Uh, it's a uh, it's the the museum is housed in the original Lutheran Seminary, the iconic building. Uh, around which the first day's fighting swirled. It's the first field hospital on the on the Gettysburg battlefield. Uh, the first division of the first corps establishes the their field hospital here uh, at uh, at about nine thirty in the morning of uh, July or ten o'clock in the morning and on July first is is Cutler and Meredith's brigades go into the to, to combat over on the, uh, in Herps Woods and around the railroad cut. So. Uh, there's there's a much longer history, and, and we're sitting in the in the home of Samuel Simon Schmucker, who was the president of the seminary. Uh, and and Schmucker, uh, this is the first and the, the longest uh, uh, lived uh, Lutheran seminary in the, in the United States. Uh, this is the, this was the Lutheran seminary in the United States in, in 1860, uh, and it was run by a man named Samuel Simon Schmucker. We're sitting in his parlor right now. Uh, where our offices are headquartered, and uh, Schmucker uh, is an interesting character. He developed uh, a new form of, of, of Lutheranism called American Lutheranism. Hmm. Uh, tried to adopt or adapt the uh, uh, the Lutheran Church to the the evangelical uh, context of the United States. Uh, created a tremendous amount of friction within the within the Lutheran Church, which is another very interesting, but another story uh, for another time. And this is, but this this. Uh, uh, experience of, of Schmucker is interesting because he had married into a, a slaveholding family in Virginia. Mm -hmm. He's from Hagerstown, Maryland. He, he, he ends up uh, marrying, marrying into the Steenburgen family in Virginia. Uh, and when he comes to Gettysburg, when, they're, when, the, when the church, when the Lutheran church is putting together the seminary, um, he comes to Gettysburg and he brings with him several indentured slaves from his, mm -hmm. family, his wife's family. 
and he takes advantage of, of Pennsylvania law to rotate, uh, at least make one rotation of slaves. If you, if you brought slaves into, into Pennsylvania, if you did not indenture them, mm-hmm. uh, they would become free within six months. And so he wrote up the legal documents to keep these people in bondage, and then at the end of six years sent that group back uh, to Virginia, and by evidence from the letters in his in his collection, uh, appears to have been preparing to to bring another group in here. By 1860, he's a a, 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 a fairly radical abolitionist, rumored to have been a conductor on the Underground Railroad. Uh, in fact, when the Confederate troops march into Franklin County, Pennsylvania, uh, one of his parishioners from, from over in uh, um, uh, Chambersburg comes over and says, they're looking for you. Uh, so l- let me see if I understand. Yeah. The slaves he rotates through, so he brings them in to make them free, or no, to, no, to hold them in to bondage hold them, longer. To hold them, yes, and he sends them back. So this is this so a very, how was the transition to abolitionism? It's interesting, but we're not quite sure how he makes he makes the the transition. Um, there's there's some evidence that uh, that the, the, that the experience of of Daniel Alexander Payne coming to the seminary. Um, as a as a not a, a formally enrolled seminarian, but a student, African American. This is the man who restarts Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston after the after the war is over. Mm. Um, but he's 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 forced out of, of of Charleston in the 30s. Comes to to New York and then is is introduced to Schmucker, who takes him in as is not a formally enrolled student, but a but something of a. I'm not even sure uh, what the what the right way to put it. Uh, an auditing Pro- student, okay. a provisional student. Yeah, so he's not going to earn the degree, but he's going to study here at the seminary. So um, certainly that has some some effect on Schmucker. And through the 40s and 50s, he begins to write more anti-slavery um, uh, lectures and theology. Uh, and, and, and and by the uh, by the beginning of the Civil War is a is a known abolitionist, which is interesting because. Some of the students end up being leaders of the Confederate Lutheran Church. Uh, We're going to take a short break now. We're going to come back and talk more with our guest, Dr. Darrell Black, uh, here at the Lutheran Seminary on Seminary Ridge in Gettysburg. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and this is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. If you are interested in real estate in America's largest city or anywhere, be sure to listen for Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Although our focus is on Manhattan and other real estate markets in and around New York City, we'll have plenty of information that will help you successfully buy, sell, and close a transaction no matter where you are in the world. Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco can be heard every Tuesday at 9 a.m. in New York, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Fullick. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with Daryl Black at the Lutheran Seminary on Seminary Ridge in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, where... uh, what was at the time of the battle a historic uh, building, I believe a dormitory, is now the museum, the uh, Seminary Ridge Museum, uh, which if you haven't seen it yet, you ought to make time to do. Uh, Daryl, we were talking in our first segment about uh, Samuel Schmucker, yeah. whose, whose home we're sitting in yes. uh, as we talk, and how he, uh, from being essentially a slaveholder, became a, a fervent abolitionist. Yeah. Uh, curious story, uh, but you said some of the students here at the seminary became leaders of the Confederate Army. Well, they become uh, Confederate uh, chaplains. A couple of Confederate chaplains come out of the of the of the seminary, um, and the name of the gentleman is escaping me right now. But there's a very interesting document that was brought to my attention uh, by Chris Graham uh, down at the American Civil War Museum a, a few weeks ago, uh, and it was, there was a convention of the of the uh, the leaders of the Confederate churches and all the denominations. I'm reading through. I'm seeing all these names, these Baptist and Methodist names that I'm very familiar with, and uh, get to the Lutheran representative at this at this uh, convention, and uh, I thought, well, there's better chance than not that he was at Gettysburg uh, studying and and then uh, and uh, uh, went down the hall and talked to my, my chief operating officer and chief of education Pete Mealy and said uh, hey can you check this out because he has a list of all the, of the graduates and sure enough the fellow had been had been a uh, uh, was a was a pretty prominent uh, graduate of the seminary um, uh, married into the Krauth family which is the other professor who's the other professor who's here in 1860 uh, with whom with whom Schmucker has a terrible theological uh, clash with in the, mm-hmm. in, the, in the school and the church divides or the school divides in 1864 over this theological issue but the reason that, I, that this is important to think about for the museum uh, and the way that we do the story in the museum is that, uh, that, that the museum embodies much of the conflict if not all of the conflict of the American Civil War from the social and cultural issues uh, to the the military history of the of the first day's fighting, it's the the largest field or one of the largest field hospitals on the battlefield. They're said between by the time the the, the hospital closes on September sixteenth, eighteen sixty three, uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of seven hundred men had been treated in the complex of hospitals uh, that had been built around the seminary building. So you 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 kind of have a, a a program for a very interesting and unique. Um, uh, museum laid out in front of you. There's no, there's no stretch to talk about abolitionism. There's no stretch to talk about the social and cultural issues. There's no stretch to talk about theology because theology and these social practices and these cultural ideals had been bandied about in the classrooms in this building. And this had become a symbol uh, in some ways of, of, of those conversations. So in, in terms of theology, we started to touch on in our yeah. first segment the uh, uh, the idea of the Confederacy and its religious underpinnings. Yeah. Uh, to me, one of the, the big 
developments in Civil War historiography in the last 20, 25 years has been the reintroduction of religion. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was at the Lincoln Museum in Fort Wayne when uh, uh, Alan Gelzo's book, Redeemer President, came out that was the first one to take Lincoln's religion seriously as opposed to just a political artifice. And uh, not just with Lincoln, but with the soldiers themselves, there's really not been a lot of serious work on their beliefs. I mean, there has been. Yeah. Mark Knowles has been on this show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, it, to me, it, it, it misses an enormous percentage of the 19th century experience to Certainly. ignore yeah. the soldiers' spiritual lives. Uh, so let me start with the question about fundamentalism yeah. that we, we just touched on. Um, we're talking about an era, this is after the Second Great Awakening, uh, uh, fundamentalism of a sort has swept through the country. But it's not what we think of fundamentalism. Not at today. all. We not at all. Fun, yeah, fun, fundamentalism is a, is a is an early twentieth century phenomenon that comes out of largely out of the Princeton Theological Seminary and then the Baptist Institute of Los Angeles. Uh, so it's a Western and Northern thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, in some in some of its early iterations, there's 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 a uh, you know the thing of Amy Simple McPherson mm-hmm. uh, in the Foursquare Movement in Los Angeles and, and thinking about the the reasonably egalitarian approach that she takes, uh, particularly as it regards race. Uh, and uh, certainly with a, with a woman uh, leading, the, leading this movement. So there's, there's some interesting wrinkles to fundamentalism uh, that, that are not Southern, uh, and, and certainly the intellectual impetus for fundamentalism is not Southern. Hey, you're talking uh, about 20th century. In the early 20th century, yes, right. in the early 20th century. But there had been a the theology that develops uh, in the slaveholding districts in the South, particularly in South Carolina and Georgia. Uh, it becomes, uh, uh, well, it's, it, it's a literalist interpretation. Uh, it's a literal reading of, of, of biblical text. Uh, it's pro-slavery in its social ethic. Uh, and uh, it, 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 it forms the foundation of how uh, these men and women uh, uh, understand their lives. They understand their relationship to the cosmos or to, to, to the transcendent, uh, that this is, this is God orda- God's ordained version of, of social life. I mean, mm-hmm. this, is, this is how the, the, that theology develops, and it's, it's pretty well articulated, very well articulated. Um, by the time by the time the war begins, and uh, it's it's not a universal uh, interpretation because as, as you mentioned, the, the Baptists as well as the Methodists, yeah. Presbyterians all yeah. divide in the the eighteen forties yeah. largely over the, the the practice of slavery and how yeah. to interpret it. Yeah. Um, in terms of this location where we're at here, do the Lutherans have a similar division? Their their division is more along the lines of um, of confessionalism versus uh, an evangelical uh, approach. And Schmucker had, takes this evangelical approach. He wants to be more uh, like Henry Ward Beecher uh, than uh, than say Charles Kraft, uh, the traditional Germans uh, mm-hmm. in, in their in, the, in their liturgical practices. Uh, there's 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 a uh, you know the the, the practice of, of, of conducting services in German. Uh, German language becomes a very important part of how the church begins to divide. Um, and certainly Schmucker's uh, growing abolitionism in the 1840s and the 1850s inflects the way that this division takes place because the church began, at least Schmucker's American Lutherans, uh, uh, begin to get involved in some of these social movements that are the hallmark of the Second Great Awakening in the North. Uh, and when, when you're looking at a traditional 
uh, interpretation of what the church should be from the perspective of, say, somebody like Charles Kraft, um, uh, it's it's there's a pretty big divide here uh, mm-hmm. between uh, a conservative staying out of staying out of, of worldly issues largely, uh, you know, dealing with, you know, ma- maintaining the traditional practices again, maintaining the traditional language of of the of the liturgical experience. So uh, that's where that's where part of that division comes from. Now, you said you're working on you said the spiritual life of General Lee's army, yes. which is is you know, fascinating topic. Um, I would guess most listeners may have read somewhere about the revivals in 1863 yeah. Yeah. throughout the Confederate armies, yeah. east and west. Uh, but that's as, for many of us. That's as far as our, our knowledge goes. What where do we start looking at the 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 religious side of Lee's army? You start in the 1780s. Okay. And you start you start thinking about the way that the churches develop in Virginia, North Carolina, Georgia, and South Carolina, and the particularities of the denominational identities, uh, and the ways that those denominations uh, adopt adapt to the slave system. In, 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 in and what are the primary denominations at that time? It's Baptist and Methodist, largely. Okay. Uh, and when, when you're looking at Georgia and South Carolina, you're looking at largely Baptist. Uh, there's a very strong Methodist presence in all of the, the, the southern states that doesn't really begin to pick up until the 1810s. Uh, there's still a lot of, of, uh, of resistance to uh, the Methodist church in the, in the, in the uh, um, patriot areas of Georgia and South Carolina based on politics. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you have, literally have uh, uh, men who had been Tories during the war uh, being dragged out uh, of Baptist churches and kicked down the stairs by patriots who don't want those <laughs> fellows in the uh, uh, in the congregation. So, um, you know, you need to start there and start thinking about national identity, and then thinking about the ways that the theology develops uh, uh, in relationship to the growing presence of slavery in these areas, mm-hmm. uh, and the, the the correlations between a hierarchical view of, of theology, a strong embrace of Calvinism. Uh, is important here and thinking about how that Calvinism overarchs everything. I talked to Dan. I remember talking to Dan Matthews many years ago about uh, about Calvinism in the South and and, and you know the, the just kind of the, the the pervasiveness of that 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 stance. Uh, perhaps not in formal theology as the Methodists, for example, uh, with their perfectionism, uh, which becomes a problem for Confederates later on. Perfectionism in the Methodist Church is kind of kind of looked at out of the corner of the eye. In fact. Uh, the uh, the man who uh, who uh, Basil Manley gives the uh, uh, invocation at Jefferson Davis's inauguration because he was a Baptist, uh, but the largest uh, congregation in in, in in Montgomery was Methodist, mm-hmm. uh, and, and the Methodist minister was was seen as being suspect because of his association with the Methodist Church and the perfectionism, which gives rise to women's rights, abolitionism, temperance, and all of these isms uh, that, are, that are anathema in the South. Hmm. So, in, and here I'm working as, as a innocent uh, of knowledge in, in this terrain largely, but my understanding of the northern revivals in the 1830s, 40s uh, is, is a very optimistic, Whiggish yes. sort of Protestantism yes. that... that uh, you know, the, the earth will be made perfect for a thousand years yeah. before the second coming yep. of millenarianism. Yep. So there's, uh, uh, so all these reforms fit in with that. We can make the world better while we're here, and then, then Christ will return. Uh, 
that's very different from the, the, the Calvinistic yeah, idea. That, so so the, the Southern view is quite different. The, the Southern view as it develops is very different. Uh, and, and remember that the, the Presbyterians don't necessarily divide over slavery. They divide over the old side or the old school and the new school. Uh, strict Calvinism versus a less strict version of Calvinism. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and out of that, you've got universalism and all of these these, these moves away from that strict Calvinist view. Uh, but this, it's interesting that the, the, the Baptists who move into uh, Charleston, um, um, South Carolina in the late 17th century uh, are, are coming out of that very strongly Calvinistic uh, um, uh, tradition. Uh, and they establish themselves as, as the leading Baptist in the South before uh, before the Revolution, and, and it's the, they're, they're, Baptists are organized as associations. They're sort of loose uh, amalgamations of, of churches that uh, that they don't have they have meetings, but they don't have uh, authority to 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 implement uh, theological. Uh, changes or ecclesiological changes or anything like that. So there's not a whole lot of authority. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they call them associations. Very, right? very decentralized. decentralized de- very, very decentralized. Every every mm-hmm. congregation elects its own pastor, elects its own deacons. Uh, very democratic, which fits really well yeah. in the revolutionary period, right? Mm-hmm. This is one of the Jeffersonian. reasons. Very Jeffersonian. Mm-hmm. But also, culturally and socially, the vision is very... Uh, hierarchical with that Calvinism, so you got, mm-hmm. you know, you've got the the, the idea of, of democratic ecclesiology, mm-hmm. but you have a social vision that's very hierarchical and very Calvinistic, mm-hmm. which is a particularly interesting combination. You know, Riz Isaacs writes about uh, about how radical Baptist Baptists are in, the, in in Revolutionary Virginia, and yes, in many ways they're very radical. Uh, you know, electing your own. Uh, uh, minister and appointing your own deacons in these local local congregations is an absolutely radical concept. In, in, in the contrast 17th. to the Church of England, the, exactly. The contrast to Paleans or the Catholics, where you have a very strict hierarchy. Exactly, and even the Lutherans that have mm-hmm. a synod and, and the Presbyterians who have mm-hmm. uh, a stricter organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, uh, the thing that the thing that Isaacs doesn't pick up on. Uh, that subsequent scholars, um, Randy Scully and, and, and uh, Jewel Spangler, and then in my dissertation, I wrote about how the so Randy and, 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 and Jewel are writing about uh, Virginia mm-hmm. uh, and thinking about how that hierarchical social vision uh, uh, plays out within these Baptist churches. So you have democracy, but you have a hierarchical social vision and cultural model, mm-hmm. uh, and that's what begins to develop in the in the Baptist churches in the George. So let's back to the associations, Charleston. Is the first what the, you got three major Baptist associations in the early Republic in the early 19th century. The first is Philadelphia, mm-hmm. the second is Charleston, the third is Georgia, mm-hmm. uh, and this is where uh, the, the Baptist Church uh, develops its 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 particularly American uh, 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 context or version, uh, and uh, you know these are these are very influential. Uh, uh, groups by the the middle part the, in Charleston by the end of the 18th century, uh, that Charleston and Georgia associations have a tremendous amount of of, uh, of influence in the way that the church is going to develop. Uh, the Baptist church is going to develop in the South. Now, mm-hmm. you know, the Methodists are, are trying to get a foothold, but they're not getting a foothold because there's still that association with the Church of England. Remember, the Methodist mm-hmm. church is comes out of. Uh, the the Episcopal Church, mm-hmm. and there's there's a, there's a sense that they're too British, mm-hmm. uh, and the, and the, and the, and that they have these structures, they have they have uh, they have uh, uh, conferences that have absolutely do have 
some influence over what happens in the congregation. So, so you've got this Baptist thinking where you have a, a divinely appointed social hierarchy, yeah. uh, the male over the female, yeah. the white over the black. Yeah. But within, say, white males, you have this radical democracy, exactly. like Edmund Morgan. Ex- ex- exactly, American exactly. That's slavery, exactly American what it is, and that's exactly how it works. Well, this is a uh, fascinating topic, and, and uh, you can learn more about it, listeners, by coming to the uh, museum here on Seminary Ridge in Gettysburg. Uh, we'll talk more about it. We'll come back in just a moment and talk more with Daryl Black. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and this is Civil War Talk Radio. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Attention. If you're a parent, educator, social worker, or civic or religious leader, the most important program you'll hear this week is Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Host Opal Singleton and her guest show how our children and others are being dangerously lured by predators through the dark web, social media apps, and games. Beyond that, the program looks at trends in human trafficking and more. You'll never think of the Internet the same way again. Listen Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Our humanity is a thing we take for granted, but it takes many forms, and it requires much of us to fully express it. Listen to On Living, the trauma and beauty of being human with host Dr. Leanne Nguyen. This program will explore topics about survival, fulfillment, hope, connection, being fully alive to ourselves and to others. Guests or people whose life experience inspires us to reflect on these questions. Tune into On Living, broadcasting live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with Daryl Black of the Seminary Ridge Museum on the Seminary Ridge, on the battlefield of Gettysburg in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. It is uh, a wonderful museum. If you've not been there, make time to go there. Uh, The location alone guarantees it's worth visiting when you're at the battlefield. Uh, But we'll talk a little bit about what there is to see there. We've been talking in the first, uh, well, in the previous segment about the 
uh, theology of the Confederate, uh, the Confederacy, the the strains of, of especially Baptism, but also Methodism and other denominations that prevailed uh, in the South during the Civil War. There is uh, uh, there is so much, uh, Daryl, to to go into there. Yeah. It's really a fascinating topic. Uh, the first thing I think it brings most people in is how they reconcile their beliefs, uh, uh, their religious beliefs, with their belief in, in slaveholding. Yeah. But it goes far beyond that and uh, uh, certainly inspires the soldiers. Uh, do, in your research, I don't know yeah. if this is the direction you've gone, uh, does it play a role in their their, their efficacy as, as a fighting unit? Do they, uh, do they maintain their faith uh, throughout yes. the war? Well, it, it, it's, inter- it's interesting. If you read some of the... the, the uh, Reminiscences were written by uh, ministers that were serving in the Confederacy. There's a you get a sense that before Gettysburg, uh, there's not a tremendous amount of interest in, in issues related to religion. Hmm. Though we know that uh, beginning in the late in late 1862 and through the first half of 1863, there's a pretty serious uptick in uh, in, in activity in, in religious activity in the camps. And this is actually. Uh, an effort uh, by the, uh, the the denominational leaderships and the missionary agencies of all the southern churches to flood the camps with literature and to, then to send uh, ministers in to, to preach. Really, you know, only about a third of the regiments in Lee's army uh, had uh, a formal chaplain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's about the same proportion on the, on the, on the northern side. It's mm-hmm. a very informal uh, 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 position uh, uh as far as a professional military organization goes, if we think about the chaplaincy today, mm-hmm. it's a very well articulated mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, uh, branch of the, of the of the army and the navy and the, uh, the military forces. Uh, but in 1861, it's it's it's, it's, it's almost like an afterthought. Um, when I was a boy, I remember reading a, a piece of a novel by John Thomason uh, about uh, Praxiteles Swan. Uh, uh, chaplain in a Texas regiment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have no idea how how much research or authenticity there is in that historical novel, but he was certainly an informal adjunct to the regiment. Yeah, that. yeah. And, 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 and in some cases, you've got you've got men who are, and we're just beginning to understand this. There's not been a tremendous focus. There, uh, 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 there have been some studies. Uh, Brentsville's done some studies on the chaplaincy, uh, and, and one of the things that I'm hoping that comes out of the study that we're, we're doing here. Uh, is a better understanding of, of what's going on with the chaplaincy in Lee's army, mm-hmm. uh, and then how those men, and then how others within the army become denominational leaders after the war. Mm-hmm. But during the wartime, during the war itself, during the wartime experience, seems to be kind of uh, segmented. And uh, in, in looking at the sermons that are being preached, and, and what I'm doing is, is, as far as the you know, we've done a tremendous amount of quantitative work. What well, we've gone, we've gone through every regiment in Lee's army that's at Gettysburg. Mm-hmm. We've determined the county of origin for every company within Lee's Army. Then we went back and determined, using the 1860 census, uh, the denominational patterns within those within those counties. uh, Using that sort of sort of a shorthand as as a representation, if we take that that the company is a reflection of the community, then then you know when and what happens in the 1860 census is that that they record the seating capacity of every church in every county. Wow. So you have this wonderful uh, database of, of denominational affiliation, which it, it, it's, it's not going to be exact, but it's mm-hmm. going to be pretty correlative. 
Uh, and so, so we're looking at the patterns. Uh, we're looking for where the uh, where the concentrations of denominations are. Not surprisingly, it's largely Baptist and Methodist, but it's, there's there've been some surprises. Places in Virginia that people would expect to see a tremendous Episcopal representation. Uh, you've got uh, tr- uh, you know majority Methodist. Hmm. Um, so, uh, but what we want to do is, is is be able to be very specific about. Uh, who we're who we're dealing with and, and what the patterns look like because nobody knows what the patterns are. Um, Just uh, Joe Gladhar's right. uh, research, he, he also did you know intensive database oriented study on yeah. the army. Yeah, did, is yours coordinated with that in any way? And we're not coordinated formally, but it lays right on top of it. Okay. It's, it I think I think that when when we sit down and we can we can sit down and do the map. We mm-hmm. get that famous eighteen sixty map that shows where slaveholding is in the, right. in the nation. And those counties are going to lay right over top of it. Okay. The counties, the counties in the Lee's Army are almost, almost exclusively cotton belt. Uh, you know, Scales Brigade, of course, is a is a is a good is a good uh, contra to that. But uh, but by and large, it is uh, uh, confirming Gladhar's uh, research. And I think that you know we sit down and look at his sample and take what we've done uh, in a more exhaustive way. Uh, I think that I think we have a, a much clearer vi- vision of the. Of the relationship between slaveholding mm-hmm. uh, and people living in a slave society, uh, uh, as Berlin would put it, uh, um, uh, they lay right on top of each other. It's mm-hmm. it's, it's a very very close correlation. Um, so, any you had a question? For no, no, no. Tell me more about what you're finding. Well, so it, what I'm finding as far as the patterns go, and this is mm-hmm. so so that was that's the that's the the, the quantitative uh, portion of the study. The qualitative portion of the study uh, is going to focus on uh, the sermons that are being preached to soldiers, uh, and there's a, there's a reasonable number of those out there, and I've gotten through probably 25 or 30 of them to this point, uh, and there there seems to be kind of a, a pattern that you see at the beginning of the war when these guys are being organized. There's there's sermons being preached at at, at a at a at sending off ceremony mm-hmm. or in a church uh, in in one of the cities from which these these early volunteers are coming. Uh, you're seeing a lot about uh, God justifies the, the slaveholding republic. This is the right thing. God is on our side. Um, and then as you move into late 1861 and early 1862, those kinds of sermons tend to, at least so far, mm-hmm. and this is a pretty small sample at this point, but tend to kind of move away from that and move towards saving souls, the evangelical uh, emphasis on individual conversion. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you you need to you need to get right with God because tomorrow you could be dead, and this right. resonates, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, so between yeah. between July of eighteen sixty one and September of eighteen sixty one, there's a tremendous amount of of death and dying, and there are not mm-hmm. that many battles. So these men are are suddenly uh, very literally confronting uh, their own deaths, yeah. and so you see, you begin to see in eighteen sixty late sixty one, early through sixty two, uh, more emphasis on that type of preaching. Uh, the you begin to see a little bit of politics and a little bit of justifications creeping in in the early part of 1863, especially after the Emancipation Proclamation, mm-hmm. uh, that, uh, that that we are right. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is we're still righteous, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, there there's so you got a little bit of that creeping in in early 63. Still a fairly strong theme of get right with God. You could be dead tomorrow. Kind of preaching, but after Gettysburg, there's a change, and this is the this is the point where um, uh, you, you know you, you really uh, begin to see an uptick in revival 
uh, activity. Uh, what had been a pretty consistent revival in the spring of 63 uh, and then interrupted by the beginning of the, of, the, of the Gettysburg campaign really takes off in the latter part of 1863. And they're trying to, they're, try, they're struggling. They're struggling. You know, the, 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 these sermons that say we're righteous, this is the, the God's righteous cause, and suddenly you have Gettysburg, Vicksburg, Tullahoma. Yeah. Uh, and, and suddenly things between May and, 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 and the beginning of August look like they've completely turned against the Confederacy. So how do you explain this? Uh, and, and how do you keep, and you were asking about morale a while ago, mm-hmm. um, how do you keep these guys who are, and this is the perennial question, right, in public history, well, my great-granddaddy didn't own slaves, so the Civil War wasn't about slavery. He was a Confederate soldier, but it wasn't about slavery. Well, there's an interest of, of white men in the South in maintaining slavery, and the ministers begin to preach about this in 18, mm-hmm. after Gettysburg. Okay. Uh, and, and you begin to see some pretty direct appeals to racial identity uh, and uh, appeals that, 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 that claim, if we lose the war, this is from Wilcott, this is, there's, 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 a, there's a day of fasting uh, that's, that's, that's issue, or, or, um, uh, declared by Jefferson Davis for August 21st, 1863. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you've ever, you know, every, everybody that's read about uh, the, the Chattanooga campaign when Eli Lilly's artillery starts shooting cannonballs through the First Presbyterian Church, the reason all those guys, all those generals were in that building is because this was a national day of, of humiliation and fasting. Uh, and there were sermons supposed to be preached across the, all the armies of the Confederacy. Well, I, I recently found one uh, in the Boston Athenaeum collection, Confederate imprints, uh, preached at, in, in the camps of uh, uh, Wilcox's Alabama Brigade, mm-hmm. Dick Anderson's division. Uh, you know, there were, yeah. were within, well, gosh, Anderson's guys crossed right here mm-hmm. uh, as, they, as they moved down the uh, down Seminary Ridge to go into position. In any case, Wilcox's guys are, you know, they're low-number Alabama regiments. They're from the, from the Cotton Belt districts. Uh, and uh, the, the sermon kind of kicks off this preached on the 21st in the brigade. Uh, well, you know, things weren't so bad. The Yankees had their, their mountain fortresses at Gettysburg, and you were there, so you know, uh, you know, Vicksburg. Who would have thought Vicksburg? Vicksburg's not a big problem because, uh, you know, Vicksburg was, uh, the, the, when, when, the, when the Yankees took Memphis and they took New Orleans, everybody knew that the Mississippi River was under Yankee control. Um, so that wasn't a big deal. What they don't say anything about, and I find it very interesting, is that nothing about Tennessee, nothing about what happens, uh-huh. you know, uh, in Tullahoma, where, where Rosecrans outmaneuvers yeah. Bragg, and yes, exactly. And, 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 and that, that very, at that very moment, was yeah. about to about to, <laughs> to to begin the final knocking open of that door into the Deep South. So um, that's, that's kind of interesting to. Well, I'll come back to that at some point. But uh, but, but so the, the sermon goes on at about page thirteen or fourteen. Uh, the guy, the, the, the minister says, uh, he says, you know, you, I've, I've heard it said in the camps that this is a rich man's war and a poor man's fight. Uses that phrase literally. Exactly, wow. And he said, I stand before you as a poor man. You all know me. I'm a Baptist minister, and if I ever had a rich relative, I never knew him. <laughs> that's, that's, that's literally what he says. And I can, I can hear that in, in an old Baptist church that, that my mother grew up in in South Carolina, that kind of language. It was, it was really interesting to to hear that echo. But in any case, uh, uh, he says, you know, you, he says, but I'm, I'm standing here before you and I tell you that the poor man of the South has more interest in the war than the man who owns 500 slaves. And why is that? 
when you, if, if the abolitionists are successful and, sl- and the institution ends, and he uses the word institution, the institution ends, you'll be the boot blacks of the dandies. Uh-huh. You'll be scrubbing the floors of the taverns. The rich man has the capital, and you have the labor, and your labor will now be debased. It goes on. It has, of course, the fears of, 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 of racial intermarriage, uh, that, that you'll be put on par with, the, with, with, with African Americans. And it goes on for about five pages explaining why the, the, poor man of the, the poor men of the South need to stay in the Army. I've never seen it more bluntly put than in, except in uh, uh, Joe Brown's letter to the Mountaineers of Georgia from, mm-hmm. from 1861 when he says, you know, there's going to be a race war if, 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 if slavery ends, they're going to come into our mountain homes. And so it's, it's, kind of, it, it, it's, a, it's a similar echo, but it's much more pointed for these soldiers in, in Lee's army uh, who are, are from, you know, their officers are, are from the plantation class, uh, are from the planter class, and, and these men are wondering what in the world they're doing still being and still staying in the army. I mean, the next, you know, in, in, in Alfred Scales Brigade, uh, uh, Dorsey Pender's old brigade, you're beginning to see some serious uh, defections uh, as, as these mountaineers start heading back home. Uh, so there begins, you, you begin to see some class divisions. Uh, there's another sermon that, uh, um, that, that, that popped up. Uh, Hoax Brigade goes down to North Carolina in the late 63, early 64 to help round up deserters. Um, and they capture a bunch near, I believe near New Bern, but maybe a little bit farther up the coast. Or up the up up up, in, up inland, and uh, um, they capture these guys, and they realize that they're Confederate deserters, but they're mm-hmm. wearing Union uniforms. They mm-hmm. come home and they join the Union army, mm-hmm. and they hang them. It, they hang twenty three of these guys, and then the then the the, the one of the ministers from Hope's Brigade gives a sermon, uh, and it starts out with Judas was the worst character in the Bible, and these guys are Judas. You don't want to be Judas, and if we lose. Here's what's going to happen, and it's the same kind of theme uh, of, wow. of poor white men uh, suffering and poor white families suffering uh, uh, if, if, the, if, if the Confederacy is not successful. Wow, that is a, a fascinating angle and, and one that, that needs further explication. Yes. I think yeah. that, and it, it's, I think it's a convincing argument for, for how the entire white South is engaged in the defense of slavery, whether yeah. one's an owner or not. Um, we just have a minute to go. Uh, quick question: If you visit the museum yeah. today, can you climb up like John oh, yeah. up on the yeah. roof and yeah. say, "There's good ground here"? Yeah, there's a there's the we have a great cupola tour experience. Uh, it's a uh, it's a guided tour of the attic space and the cupola. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about 40, 35, 40 minutes. We have great uh, uh, tour leaders over there. We have a great frontline staff. Uh, that will really um, uh, give you a good uh, uh, sense of the experience up there. Uh, the, the the attic of the building is actually the most 1863 of, of any of this of the structure. They renovated the, the the building in 1895, turned it into a dormitory. Before that, there everything had been in there: dormitories, mm-hmm. cooking space, uh, the classrooms, the library, the it chapel were all in in, in yeah. what we call now Schmucker Hall. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, they renovated in 1895 and turned it into a dormitory. So that's the layout that you get on the. 
the rest in the rest of the building. But up, upstairs, it's, it's very 1863, including original floorboards, including the original uh, beams and rafters with the with the match marks on them that show. They, you know, they they cut these things up down on the ground and then hoisted them up and they oh, used wow. the match marks. It's old. It's old naval, uh, you know, old, old shipbuilding technology uh, that they're using to, to put this, put these things together. Right. It's a fascinating place, and it's a great tour experience. It, so, listeners, you do not want to miss the Seminary Ridge Museum next time you're in Gettysburg. Uh, Daryl, it's been a, a pleasure talking to Indeed. you. Thanks for being on Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you. It's my pleasure. And listeners, as always, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.